following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Well, we are trusting for the power of the Holy Spirit, and He joined with Eversource and gave us the power of electricity, too. Amen for that. Uh, the bathrooms are no longer out of order, uh, so feel free to use them uh, if you need to. Um, too often we forget water pumps work on electricity, too. So, anyway. <coughs> Hi. Uh, we have. We don't normally like point out visitors or new people and embarrass them, so I won't even like, look at you guys over here. But um, we have, we do have a very, very new uh, person with us this morning, Chloe, under the tent over there. So, welcome to your family, Chloe. Mm. Yes, I'm. Just grateful to the Lord I said it right or remembered what her name was. <laughs> All right. Mm. Romans chapter 12, a verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. This morning, I hope to examine a transformational mind renewing thought found in Colossians chapter 3. But first, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your blessing, so grateful for your hand on us, uh, bringing us together this morning, and even with the adventure of power outage, um, turned out to be no big deal for us, but uh, um, pray for those who work on it, uh, that your blessing would be on them, and that no one is hurt. with the transformer exploding and all that excitement. Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word. I pray that uh, we would hear from you this morning, not from me, um, but it would be your spirit speaking, not my spirit. So we look forward to what you have to say to us this morning. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Hi, Chloe. Mm. Jesus said in John 3:16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Mm. This, that eternal life that Paul is concerned with in our text this morning of Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, and that's page 984 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Um, and up there, we can't try it up. All right. Great. Mm, it's magic. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As we've uh, learned in our studies of these letters, and really in any uh, passage of Scripture, we can't just take the fortune cookie out and leave the context uh, behind, the rest of the context. These four short verses in Colossians 3 are part of a much larger argument and can't really be taken on their own without remembering all that the author has already said. Um, so when Paul uses the phrase, if then you have been raised with Christ, we have to, uh, we have to go back and find that idea um, in what he has already talked about, being, where he has already talked about being raised with Christ to find out who and what he's talking about. And fortunately for you, I've already done the work, so I can just point you to where that is. Look back at chapter 2 in verse 9. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. This part is underlined. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So, go back to chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead, if you have faith in Christ and so have been raised with him from spiritual death. So then, now seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So, who is Paul addressing? Well, yes, okay. It's those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's very easy to just say Christians, but uh, not everybody has the same definition of what that means. So I try to be very specific. Those of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Some people think they're born Christian. Like, you I don't know, like you're born in Nanshire or Maine or wherever. It's not doesn't work that way. You don't become a Christian by being born in a certain place or a certain ethnicity. It's not the same. We have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, let's assume that's us. Well, I'm not going to assume for you. I can't assume for myself. 
but um, what is his instruction to those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? The instruction is to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, I think it's uh, tempting to just imagine what that is. Pearly gates and cars made out of clouds that you kind of float around on like the Care Bears or something foolish like that. We have all kinds of pictures of what heaven looks like in our mind, don't we? We hear about pearly gates. Where is that found in scripture? Anybody know? No, it really is there. I was just testing you. <laughs> it's in Revelation. It doesn't say they're made out of pearl. They look like pearls. Anyway, we have all kinds of uh, funny ideas. I remember a cartoon show when I was a kid that had Arnold. Uh, Arnold from... Oh, shoot. I can't remember the name of the show now. It's just... A, hey, Arnold? No. See, I'm old. That's <laughs> No, no. He's just a short little guy um, from different strokes. Yeah, well, there was a cartoon show, and he was an angel. In the, and he always had to pull his halo out of his pocket. And it was always, like, off to the side. And we have really dumb ideas about what heaven is like and all those things. But the Bible is very clear on some of these things. Um, so I'd like to think about that. What Paul is not talking about is geography. He's not talking about, think about what heaven is like. Think about what God's throne is like. Think about um, these sorts of things. Pearly gates and who's standing there letting people in or kicking people out. That's not what Paul is talking about at all. Those, uh, those things, those heavenly things, um, is really what the rest of chapter 3 is all about. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter as much as I want to. The idea, generally speaking, is personal holiness, being Christ-like, Christ-likeness. We've talked about this here before, that our goal uh, as Christians, real ones, is personal growth in holiness, personal holiness, um, being like Christ. That's our goal, is growth, right? I hope so. Yes, amen. Say amen to that, please. But I know it's hard to remember what I've said as after I've said it, but that's really our goal, to make and mature disciples, right, together as a family. And this is a part of that process. Um, if you use a new international version of the Bible for your reading, it uses very preachable phrases here, very sermon-friendly phrases. Set your hearts on things above, and then it says, set your minds on things above. Super easy for sermon setup, right? Oh, set your heart, set your mind. Let's talk about heart, let's talk about mind. Well, ESV is not so friendly. The English Standard Version is not so kind. It says, seek the things that are above, and then set your minds on things above. They didn't really care about making sermons easier. They want to get at the meaning. So that's more important. If we have been raised with Christ, our life is now new life. And so we must seek after new life things. In truth, this 
new life, even if it may seem old to you now, is a whole new spiritual existence, a new way of living. And one of the most beautiful aspects of this new spiritual existence, unfortunately, is lost in the English translations of this verse. Now, I'm not here to give you a Greek lesson, but I will remind you that uh, the you in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, uh, the you in verse 1, as in most of the yous in Paul's letters, are plural, not single. So Paul not saying you as an individual. He's saying you all, right, together. Um, so better rendering in the New, New Englander version <clears throat> might read something like, Since you guys have been raised with Christ, together seek the things that are above. I think this would be a much easier version for us to deal with. You guys, right? And not to use guys. It's not the New Jersey version. It's New England. <laughs> use plural, but not plural twice. Um, <laughs> I just can't get over the power of the plural. My experience with the church growing up was very individualistic. And it all had to do with a personal relationship with Jesus, which is good and true and a personal devotions and personal growth and personal individual pursuits. But, and those are fine. They're not bad. But we are designed to do this together. The church is designed to work together as a family. That's the part that gets missed. And there is so much power in this plural. We are to seek together personal holiness. To seek as an active and outward behavior and notice the motivation for actively and outwardly desire, desiring personal holiness and Christ-likeness. You know what it's not, that motivation? It's not guilt. Hmm. Like we talked about last week. Our motivation to together desire and actively pursue holiness is Christ himself. Christ himself, his presence, his power, and his glory must be our motivation to seek the things that are above, to actively desire and to pursue personal holiness together, not guilt. Guilt can be a powerful motivator, but it mostly has to do with fear and control. And its long-term effects are mostly damage. We don't, we don't have to pursue holiness together. Because we have been raised with Christ, we get to pursue personal holiness together. There's a big difference. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We get to read our Bibles. We get to pray. We get to sing. We get to serve. And we get to do that together. It's beautiful, not a burden. Guilt just piles on. You're not doing enough. Don't you love Jesus? 
Why aren't you doing this or doing that? You didn't read your Bible for five hours every day this week? Shame on you. Motivating, isn't it? Kind of feel like reading your Bible now. (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible. It's a burden and it's damaging and it's wrong. That's not God's design for His church. Verse 1 says, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Now, I'm not spend a lot of time talking about the theology of Christ being seated at the right hand of God, although there is a lot to talk about there. That's not really what I want to focus on this morning. I want to talk about the difference between seeking the things that are above and setting your minds on things that are above. You say, what's the difference? Well, there are different words, so there's that. Um, It must mean something different. The Greek word, to set your minds, means to keep on giving serious consideration to something, to let your mind dwell on it or earnestly meditate on it to continue to fix your attention on something. One of my favorite words is ruminate, to ruminate on something, which means all of those other more easily understandable words. To fix your attention on something. To fix our attention on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. If our attention fixed on things that are on earth and not things that are above, power goes out. No church this morning, everybody. Because we don't have electricity, we can't possibly get together and sing and pray. (laughs) Right? It's just too inconvenient for us because the things of the earth are getting in the way or the lack of things on earth. Right? It's too easy. Hmm. There are lots of good things here on earth. And we are not forbidden to use the things that are on earth, those things that perish with use, but we are bidden to the right use of earthly things, to seek and mind the things that are above. We use earthly things to work in a heavenly direction, to think on the things that are above. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Those earthly things may not be evil in and of themselves. They may be nothing more than cozy comforts, things we enjoy simply because we enjoy them, but they don't really do us any heavenly good or move us any closer to holiness and Christ-likeness. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like leather seats and hot chocolate. Those are the things that came to my mind as I'm thinking about this. (laughs) Leather seats and hot chocolate. Can you live without them? Yes. Are they bad? No. Are they good? (laughs) Well, they're kind of (laughs) nice. Well, hold on. Let's Let's not go too far here. Right? So, here's an example. Baseball. Which is obviously the most godly activity on earth for us to participate in. No, baseball is really irrelevant. But what do kids get to do? Make friends, build relationships, 
right? And the player that knows Jesus now has relationships with a dozen other guys or gals if you're playing softball or whatever, cricket. I don't know. But now you get to use an earthly thing for heavenly good, right? You have relationships so you can share the gospel with those people. Tell them about Jesus, right? Football, same way. Invite people over to your house to watch the game. Get to build relationships. Enjoy the game. Or yell at each other, you know. Use it. You have to talk. You can't talk. You get to prove your, yeah, prove your personal holiness by what words you yell at the television. (laughs) (laughs) These things are not evil unless we allow ourselves to be controlled by them, such as your temper watching the Patriots. It's then that our our thinking becomes earthbound, when these things or the want for these things controls our thinking. Mm. Theophilus, the bishop of Antioch, who lived in the second century, said that four-footed beasts are like images of men who mind earthly things, but they who live righteous lives soar aloft like birds on the wings of the soul and mind those things that are above. And that's our motivation, to let go of earthly things and not let them control us. To focus on... uh, mm, Our motivation to let go of these earthly things, is is it guilt? Is that our motivation to focus on righteousness and personal holiness? Is that our... Is that our motivate? Like, now you have to invite people over to watch the football game with you. No, you do. Or you're bad. No, you're already bad, right? <laughs> we already know that. Right? Guilt is not our motivator. I hope. I pray that it's not. However, our motivation is um, death. If we would be like they who live righteous lives, soaring aloft like birds on the wings of the soul, and mind those things that are above, we must embrace our death. Not our physical death, but our spiritual death. Look at verse 3. For you have died. Let's close in prayer. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in good. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus said in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Remember what we read from chapter 2, what Paul wrote? Back in verse 12, said, Having been buried with him, with Christ, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we die. Our old life dies. Our old life that was shackled by sin and guilt and unforgiveness is dead. And we are raised through faith into new life in Christ. We died to the ways of the world. We, we died to its elementary principles of selfishness and pride. We died to sin and its eternal consequences. Do you know that? Do you? Uh, well, you're, you're trying to make me say yes, but no. Not, not really. Sometimes. We can't go back. We cannot go back to that way of life. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty because you love your sin. <laughs> the Bible says you do, right? But we cannot go back to that life anymore. Who would want to go back to that life of death? We live a new life of new death, which is weird, but it's true. We are not what we once were. Our life is a whole different life now. Our life is now another kind of life. But, in truth, we are not yet what we will be. We can't go back to what we were, or how we were, or even who we were. What we are is hidden with Christ in God. And what we will be, will be revealed when he returns. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Um, we are living in what the theologian George, George Eldon Ladd called the already not yet kingdom of God. Have you ever heard that expression before? The, the already not yet. All right? We are... Uh, it means that... We're living in the kingdom of God that has already begun here on earth. It means that we, his church, those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, are, kingdom, are, are citizens of God's kingdom here and now. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. And I was struck by this thought. What does all this really mean? What's the point of this whole discussion? The truth is, the point is, that our eternal life has already begun. Do you know that? We think, well, uh, eternal life doesn't start until we're, are, we're physically dead, right? And we, we say that at funerals and stuff, and now, now the person is passed, is in the arms of the Savior, or or is in heaven looking down on us, which would be a horrible, horrible punishment, honestly. Um, that's what we think about is the hereafter. That's when eternal life happens. Do you know you have eternal life now through faith in Christ? Now, there should be, I don't know why there isn't for me, I can only speak for me, there should be no greater remover of fear than that fact. If your eternal life has already begun, what 
do we have to be afraid of? Now, I'm not saying, you know, go challenge the cars in the road to a game of chicken. You lose. But we separate these things. We separate here and hereafter. Uh, John Lang said, Here and hereafter no more fall into two incongruous parts than the year with seed time and harvest, or human life with childhood and riper age, or man with body and soul. Here and hereafter are not two separate things. It's one, one single thread. And through faith in Jesus Christ, that thread has already begun. Our eternal life has already begun. Now it's going to be different when Christ comes back. It's going to be different when this physical uh, corpse, <laughs> this physical body ceases to work anymore. It doesn't work like it used to already. It's going to be different, but it's still the same eternal life. It's already begun. Jesus said in John 5:24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When does that happen? When you hear the word of Christ and believe it. Not you hear the word of Christ and you believe it and you live a good long life and then you die and now it starts. No, it's already begun. We, have, we already have eternal life. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have passed from death to life. We died to the old way of life and have been raised to a new one, an eternal one, a better one. Eternal life has already begun. And this, it is this fact that should give meaning and purpose to all our pursuits. All our seeking, our attention, our work, our hobbies, our relationships. They now have new meaning because our eternal life has already begun through faith in Jesus. Knowing this fact that our eternal life has already begun should rescue us from a life of impatient thumb-twiddling waiting for Christ's return. Come on. Release me from this miserable life. <laughs> this should release us to live lives of boldness and purpose for the gospel. We can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He can cause pain to this physical body. He can cause pain to my emotions. He can cut off all my limbs. He can destroy this earthly body. So what? It's just a rental anyway. Eternal life is not limited to a distant heaven or to a time after these bodies of flesh quit working. If you trust in Jesus Christ, eternal life has already begun. It's in its infancy now, but it's nevertheless begun. So, let's live like it. Let's together actively seek holiness and righteousness. Let's fix our attention on the Lord's design for our lives and let go of earthbound pursuits of comfort and complacency. They're not bad, but let's use them for the kingdom. Let's allow our eternal life in Christ to free us from fear and speak boldly of God's love shown in Jesus to our friends. Let's live like we're going to live forever no matter what any man might do to us. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Our eternal life has started already. Can you say amen to that? It's true whether you want to say amen or not. I pray that all of you have this faith in Jesus Christ, that you have embraced the forgiveness that he died to give you, and so your eternal life can begin. Amen. I'm going to stop talking. Father, we are so grateful, so thankful for your love for us that you proved in Jesus. You proved by your death on the cross how much you loved us. To purchase for us eternal life. To purchase for us forgiveness. I pray, Lord, no one leaves this building today without full assurance that they have been forgiven. That they accept the truth that Jesus died in their place. Lord, may we embrace the eternal life that you have already given to us and live like it's already begun, without fear, with boldness for the gospel, telling people the good news that Jesus came and died for them. Lord, may we together as a family fix our attention on the things that are above, on personal holiness and righteousness that we would soar aloft on wings of the soul, not be bound to the earth, thinking of the things of the earth. Free us, Lord, from captivity, that we can know and love and serve you with our whole hearts, using our relationships and our work and our hobbies and our pursuits for the gospel, for the kingdom. Show us, Lord, how to do that. It's different for each of us. But we pray that you would instruct us. Because we want to live lives that show that we love you. For we do. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 